I, or I got two titles for the message, um, which I, I don't know if that's even ever been done before here. Because um, it's kind of like, you know how some songs have like two titles, There's like, it's got like the title and then it's got another title like in parentheses. You know how some songs do that? Um, so this is kind of like one of those. They have one title that's like, okay, it's an okay title. Uh, and then there's, I got like an edgy, an edgy cool title. So I'll give you the first title first. It's actually on the screen. It's called My Life in Context. So, and then I'll give you the edgy title in a couple minutes. My Life in Context. Uh, has anybody seen the movie The Truman Show? Yeah. Anybody know about that movie? Yeah. Like two people here do it? So, uh, probably one of my favorite movies. Uh, definitely one of the most underrated movies in the 90s. Um, so to, for those who haven't seen the Truman Show, the synopsis is Jim Carrey plays uh, this guy named Truman, and uh, he lives in a town called Sea Haven, and um, he has a pretty regular life. He goes to work, and uh, he comes home, and you know he has dinner with his wife, and sometimes he hangs out with his uh, best friend since grade school, and uh, well, the, the problem with all that is, is it's all fake. Sea Haven is fake. It's not a real town. Uh, his wife is fake. He doesn't have a real wife, and his best friend is fake. Uh, everything in his life is fake because he's actually on a TV show called The Truman Show, and he lives in a fake town, which is really a studio, uh, a gigantic studio that's the size of a town. Uh, and the studio is in Los Angeles, and the entire world is watching the Truman Show, where every single moment of his life is, is uh, recorded, and he doesn't know the actual context of his life. So the, the whole movie is it's like these, the people are, are, everyone's an actor, right? And, and they're trying to prevent him from leaving the studio. And so, you know, he'll get in the car and he'll turn on the radio and the announcer on the radio will be like, oh, you know, uh, another, another airplane went down today. Uh, you know, it looks like it's really unsafe to fly because they're, they're trying to instill fear in him. They don't want him to leave. Um, everyone's trying to prevent him from leaving the studio because they don't want to know the actual context of his life. They, they don't want him to know what his life is all about because they'll, they'll, they'll lose their jobs. Um, if he really knew what the real nature of his life, he would... He wouldn't stay in that studio, um, you know, because in, in the studio, right, there's uh, lies, right? Out, out of the studio, there's truth. Um, in, in the studio, there's constraint and limitation. Out of the studio, there's, there's freedom, okay? Inside the studio, there's confusion. Outside of the studio, there's context. And so I'm going to give you the, the edgy, cool title of the, if you want to help me say it, if you want to repeat it after me, one, two, three, say, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the, studio. the studio. I'm leaving the studio. I'm leaving the studio. Okay. Okay, we're, we're, we're leaving the place of confusion. We're leaving the place of frustration. We're going we're gonna to find out in the Word of God today what is the actual context of our lives as believers. Amen. Like, like what's it, what does it mean to take something out of context? You know, it's like when you, when you don't know the actual meaning of a thing, and so 
the intended purpose of that thing gets distorted. The intended meaning of that thing that is taken out of context, it's distorted. And so we're not gonna live our lives with distorted meaning. We're gonna go find out the true context of our lives. Romans chapter one, verse one. This is gonna be the foundation. This is where we're basing this, our context off of, right? Paul's writing to a Roman, to the church in Rome. He opens up this letter saying, Paul, I'm Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. I, I wanna consider Romans 1, verse 1. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it like the four-point framework of a life free of confusion. Okay, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna see four things here that are, that are gonna help us to live a life free of confusion and, and frustration. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at four things. Number one, my identity, right? Who am I? Number two, my role. What am I supposed to do here on this earth with this new life that I have in Jesus? Uh, number three is uh, my strategy. How, how am I supposed to go about fulfilling that, that role? And number four, my reason. Why, why am I doing this? What is, what is really the, the reason behind everything that I'm doing? And so, and I really believe that when we don't have the, the biblical answers to these questions, does anybody else struggle with, with these questions? Anybody else, has anybody else ever found themselves really struggling with this? I know I have, right? And when we, when we really don't know what the word says in, in regards to these questions uh, in these four areas, there, there's frustration, there's, there's confusion, and it affects the world around us. It affects our relationships, right? So we're gonna take a look at number one. Number one, my identity. Based on Romans chapter one, verse one, he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What is a bondservant? Does anybody know what a bondservant is? In bondservant, uh, the, the Greek word used here is doulos. Okay, it's a slave. It's a person who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own, one who gives themselves up wholly to another's will. Okay, that, that's, that's the Greek word that, that was used. The original language in, in the, the New Testament is Greek. So he's using this word doulos. His, his life is, is given up to the will of his master, Jesus. Now, this word slave probably painted a very specific picture to many of the readers who were receiving this letter that he wrote, right? because this is in Rome. And the Roman slave market, I mean, the, the economy in Rome really depended largely on slavery. And the Roman slave market, I mean, it, it was brutal. Um, just to give you a little brief description, the, so human beings, right, actual people were just paraded around like merchandise and put on these auction blocks, okay? And, and potential buyers would like inspect the merchandise. And you know, one of the things that they would look for is like how, how is the condition of their teeth? So they would push back their head and look at their teeth like this is just so uh, degrading. Um, or, or if the slave owner needed uh, a lot of labor, uh, manual labor done, the potential buyer would 
just like start hitting the, this, the potential merchandise that he might buy, this, this person. He'd hit him, spit, uh, spit on him, um, curse at him, just like really abuse him mentally and physically, just, just to see uh, how, how much pain that he could take, how much mental and, and physical abuse that he could take. Um, and this is brutal, and they could do whatever they want with the slaves because they were technically their property. So if they wanted to uh, harm them, if they wanted to abuse them, if they wanted to molest the slave, if they wanted to kill the slave, like, they could do it, and it would be fine. Like, they wouldn't have any repercussions to it. So that was the Roman slave market. And so Paul uses that word dual. So why? Why would he use that word in, in to describe his relationship to his master, Jesus Christ? Um, well, is it possible that maybe... Paul had a different kind of slavery, a different kind of bond servants in mind when he used that. Is it possible that maybe, perhaps Paul had a different kind of master in mind when he used this word doulos, bond servant? And um, so I, I want to give you a scripture from the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of going to give us uh, an in, uh, um, a look into. Paul's thought process when he uses the word duos. Okay, Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 to 6. And uh, to, you know, to give you a little context of what's happening here, uh, God delivers the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Um, and they come out into the wilderness, into Mount Sinai, and he gives uh, the law of Moses. He uh, gives them this, now this, they have, they're going to have this new way that they're going to live in their new freedom. And so he's giving them the laws about uh, slavery, slavery ownership, specifically one of their Hebrew slaves. And we're gonna find that it's different from the kind of slavery in the Roman slave market. So he goes, verse two, if you buy a Hebrew slave, this is, is, uh, uh, if a Hebrew finds himself into slavery either by um, a punishment for some crime that he committed or if he had to sell himself to pay a debt. Uh, so if you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh year, he shall leave as a free man without payment to you. This is totally different from the Roman slave market. In the Roman slave market, you, you can pretty much just be a slave for life. But it's saying here, it's just six years. Okay, and then on the seventh you have to let that slave go free, okay? Verse three, if he comes alone, he shall leave alone. In other words, if he comes without his own family, okay, he leaves without his uh, own family. But then it says, if he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall leave with him. So it's like, in this kind of slavery, like, they're not taking anything away from you, right? They're not taking you away from your family. Um, very, very different kind of slavery. Verse four, if his master gives him a wife, then and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall leave alone. Wow, so not only is nothing taken away from you, but you could actually gain something out of this if you're one of the Hebrew slaves in, 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 in slavery here, if you're in, in the, a bondservant in, in your master's house back in these times. Um, you could actually gain, you could actually like start your own family, be given the opportunity. Okay, this is a different kind of slavery. And you gotta understand, these, these were different kind of masters too. Because all throughout um, 
Exodus and all throughout the writings of Moses, God is reminding them, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Okay, and, and, and at the end of this chapter, I'm not gonna get into the, into the end of this chapter, but if you do read it, it actually says that there's punishment. There is um, repercussions for masters who uh, mistreat their slaves. Okay, not like the Roman slave market. So this is, this is not a brutal slavery. This, this is like, uh, like indentured servant. So verse five, okay, here's where it gets good. But if the slave plainly says, right, so this is talking about in the seventh year when it's time for him to make that choice to either um, stay or, or go, right, and be, and be let, left free, right? If the, plain, if the slave plainly says, I love how it says plainly says, like in other words, what I'm about to say, I'm saying it plainly, don't misunderstand me, um, you, you cannot misconstrue what, misconstrue what I'm about to say. I'm saying this so plainly, it is a declaration. Here's what he's saying. I love my master. I love my master. My wife and my children. Notice the master's first. My, my, my master, my wife, my children. I will not leave as a free man. Okay, if he says that, and his master shall bring him to God, then he shall bring him to the door, to the door, doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with it all and serve him permanently for the rest of his life. Is, does anybody see anything unusual here? Right, can, can, we, can we pretend, or can we actually act like the Bible is real here for a second? This guy, this slave, is signing his life away to his master when he doesn't even have to. Why? He could go off and start his own thing. He, he can go off and have it with, with his own family and start his own legacy. Something's wrong here. Okay, here's what I think. I think that this master must have treated his slave like unusually well. Like, like an unusual, like unheard of love that this master had and showed for his servants. It, it's gotta be, that's gotta be the case here. Why in the world would this slave give away his life forever, especially if he has his own family? There's gotta be some out of this world love going on here that he's saying, I love my master. That's what I think. What do you guys think? He puts his, his master first before his children. Okay, he, he, he recognizes really that the, the, the family, if he had a family that his, that his uh, master gave him a wife, he recognizes, okay, everything that I have comes from the master. Are you guys seeing this? Yes. And he's saying, I will not leave as a free man. He's freely choosing not to have his own freedom. He's freely choosing to be submitted to this master. Okay, I, I, he's come to the conclusion that being in submission to this master, being his servant, is actually more f freedom than if he was just, just gonna go run off and do his own thing, right? You guys getting this? And that's how Paul describes his relationship to his master, Jesus. Where that slave, that Hebrew slave, 
in the seventh year. That's what I feel like I am right now. I'm that bond servant who has chosen. I love my master. I'm not, I'm not gonna go, I, yeah, I have the opportunity to do what I want. Yeah, I have the opportunity to live life according to my will and not have to be subservient to anybody. But I love my master. And I recognize that there is more freedom in Jesus, that there is more freedom living according to the word of God than there is just living to, according to whatever the world says. Now, if you think about it though, we really, if, you, if you're, you've been spending some time walking with Jesus and you look back on what you were like before, we were in a slave market. Right? One uh, theologian, scholar, guy uh, once said, uh, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. You're, sooner or later, you're going to have to serve somebody. Anybody? Okay. We're going to have to serve somebody. Go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. That was Bob Dylan, by the way. I just called Bob Dylan scholar, so. Okay. <laughs> Galatians 4, verse 3. That, uh, this is also Paul writing. So also, when we were underage, he's talking about mankind's condition without Christ. Mankind's condition um, in, in, in our fallen state. Do you guys know what I mean by that? The fallen state in sin, without Jesus, w without being connected to God, okay? Because I don't have time to get into the full context of what he's talking about here, but that's what he's saying. Mankind uh, in need of redemption. That, that, that's what, we, what he's talking about here. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He's talking about sl Satan's slave market, Okay, um, the, this is talking about mankind under the Ten Commandments. Okay, the, the Ten Commandments were not given so that we can be free from, actually the, the Ten Commandments were given so that our sin could be revealed. And um, it says we, we were enslaved to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Um, I guess I'll tell this a quick little story. I remember one time uh, when I was out doing what I was doing when I was a, a reckless individual. Um, uh, I was out drinking with my friends and um, at the beginning of the night, I remember this. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember proclaiming, proclaiming, saying plainly, tonight, I'm gonna see how many of the Ten Commandments I could break. Um, I, I think I pretty much broke all of them, almost, except for murder. Uh, <laughs> But you see, like, like the Ten Commandments were never meant for us to follow prayer. It, it revealed our sin. It revealed our inability to please God. So we were enslaved to that. And the Bible says that, this, this, uh, that Satan is really the god of this world. The small, small g, small g god of this world. And uh, well, if you don't believe that, I have one word for you, 2020. Okay. So we were, we were in Satan's slave market. Paul uh, tells us how he used to be in uh, Satan's slave market. When he, um, before he, he converted 
to Christianity, before Jesus found him on the road to Damascus, here, here's what he, he's going to go into his condition, right? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Um, to give you context, this is him telling his testimony to a king, okay, just to give you a little context, okay? He did everything to oppose Jesus. Verse 10, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in the foreign cities. Uh, stay, stay in verse 11 for a second. So he's violently opposed. Um, this, this really isn't describing a man who is like really free, okay? Because this is a man who studied the scriptures and the scriptures really pointed to Jesus, okay? And he is spending his life opposing the, the very God that he's been studying his entire life, okay? There's gotta be some kind of bondage here. There's some kind of force that is really driving him here, okay? He doesn't know that he's in Satan's slave market at the time. Um, why don't you skip down to verse 14 for the sake of time, okay? Now, this is, this is describing when He's on his way to Damascus to persecute more believers, and then Jesus just stops him in, in his tracks, and, and he sees a bright light. In verse 14, it says, we all fall down, fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His name used to be Saul. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says to him. It's useless to you to fight against my will. Like, in other words, there, there, there must have been something in him that was like, like drawing on him, like, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, but he's still fighting it. Okay, that doesn't sound like a free person. Okay, this is somebody in bondage. Okay, we were in bondage. We were in, in Satan's slave market. God made a way out for us. Amen? Amen? Every once in a while in the Roman slave market, a really compassionate person would actually come along and buy one of the slaves and set him free. That would actually happen. Go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Right, this is continuing on in the idea of our enslavement. Okay, it says, but when the, time had set, when the set time had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to some sonship. We are redeemed. Okay, redeem, uh, that's a word that, that gets thrown around a lot. It's, it's a word that we find in scripture a lot. It's a, it's a word that we find in a lot of the lyrics to our, our worship songs, redeem, redemption. Do we actually know what that means? Um, redeem here in, in Greek is the word exagorazo. This is so good. Uh, when, when I caught the, uh, the revelation of what this word redeem really means, man, so exagorazo is a compound of two words. First of all, agorazo, which is to buy in a marketplace. Right, that's what all the slave masters were doing. They were just buying slaves in the marketplace. But when you put ek in front of it, ek means completely out of, completely out of the slave market. This is describing what Jesus did for us. He purchased us completely out of Satan's slave market when he, when he accomplished his work on the cross. What was the price that he had to pay to get us out of the market? When he came to the market and inspected us, as we stood on the auction block and look at our, looked at our condition that we were in, this, this condition of enslavement to sin, that price that he had to pay was his own blood. 
Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It was his shed blood on that cross that freed us. And then his resurrection from the grave on, on Sunday proved that he was the son of God. And now because he lives, we live. Because he came out of the tomb, now we have freedom from, from the slave market. We have true freedom today. Amen? Amen? Why? Why did he do this? Because he loves us. Okay, this is that unusual love that I was just talking about before. This is that strange, out-of-this-world love. Okay, First uh, John 4, verse 9. Skip it. Go to, go to 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Like, in other words, it wasn't a miracle that we loved God, but it's a miracle that he loved us. That's real love. That's that unusual, out-of-this-world love. When you consider us in our sin state, and when you consider him a perfect God, and he still loved us, and he, that he, he was willing to do what he did when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, to become sin for us on our behalf, that's that out-of-this-world love. Go, go back to Exodus chapter 21, verses five and six. Go to verse six. Okay, so this is when, when the master says, I'm sorry, when, when the slave says, you know what? I'm not leaving as a free man. I'm gonna stay with the master. Okay, go to verse six. Then his master shall bring him to God. He shall bring him to the doorpost or the doorpost, door or doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him permanently. He got an ear piercing, right? This is where we get the idea of earrings from. It wasn't just, it didn't just start as a stylish thing. So now the rest of the world knows that this bond servant is a bond servant because he has an outward mark to prove it. Okay, he, he has, um, okay, yeah, an outward mark. What, what is our outward mark? What's, what is our evidence to the world that, yeah, we have this master that we chose to stay in submission to because his love is so out of this world. What's our outward mark? Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of it, we got it? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's our earring, okay? That's our piercing. And the piercing hurts, right? It's, it, hurts to, to, it hurts to show, to have to um, demonstrate these things, but we can because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we could do it out of the place of, I love my father, I love my master. Okay, this is our ear piercing. And obedience to God hurts. So being a bondservant sometimes hurts because we have to make hard decisions. And um, I'm gonna tell this quick story. It's not even really a story, I'm just gonna say it. The, um, the day that I got my ear piercing, and I really knew that there's an outward mark that I am a bondservant of Christ, right? That I wasn't just this person who just comes to church and uh, whatever shows up. Um, uh, I was faced with the temptation to sleep with somebody. And I, because I put myself in a situation um, and I got this check from the Holy Spirit before I made this decision. Do you really want this? Do, do, do you really want to live in your own freedom? 
because there's going to be some consequences. There, you're going to have some regret. And I chose to obey God. Uh, it hurt, just like that ear piercing, it hurt. But you know what? It, it, that to me was like a threshold experience where I, I was able to really feel like, man, like God is my master and G Jesus, I, I feel like I had a deeper revelation of the Father's love through that obedience. Because it, it was his grace that, that, it's his grace that sustains us. When we do sacrifice that thing that we want, when we do make that hard decision that, that's gonna really um, require saying no to some things, Okay, but then his grace sustains us and we can really have that true joy. See, when we don't know the context of this, we don't know the context, we will make the decisions that we wanna make and we wonder why we're not experiencing the life and the joy and the freedom that a lot of our other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing. Because we're not living in our context, right? And we don't see ourselves as bond servants of Christ. We're either gonna live in fear or in rebellion, right? And then they're both gonna lead to confusion and frustration. So, and I just wanna say real quick, if you don't, you're not gonna start off this way all the time. First, you're probably, when you start off with Christ in your journey with, with Jesus, you're probably gonna feel a lot like that, that slave in this first six years, in, in like the first year of being a bond servant, where you're just kind of like, all right, this is my new master. I don't really know what he feels about me. I don't really know if he really loves me that much. And, uh, you know, because it's like when we come, first start coming to church, we're kind of afraid to put our hands up and worship, and it's like, that's okay. It's like that. I know it was like that for me. Um, get in the Word. Go find out how much God loves you. Be around other Christians. Let, let His love through, through other people be demonstrated to you. And it's like that love will catch you. And you, you will want to be in, in, in obedience to Him. It won't feel like this like, religion, like they have with the, with the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm, really, I'm believing God I'm going to have enough time to effectively cover the rest of it. <laughs> I, you know, I had to spend the rest of, a lot of time on, on the identity because if we don't get the identity right, what's the point of the role and the strategy and the reason? Okay, so number two, my role. Called to be a whatever your thing is. Whatever God is calling you to, to do. Paul wrote he's called to be an apostle. He's, he was called to be somebody who was to be sent away to uh, regions who, uh, particularly Gentile regions, when I say Gentile, I mean non-Jews. Um, he was called to, to start Christian communities in places where, uh, who have never heard the gospel, who have, who have never, who don't know Jesus. Because this is the, in the beginning, in the inception of Christianity. Okay, what is God calling you to be? He's calling us to do something. The word called in Greek is kletos. It means to be called aloud, to be invited, to be summoned. It's an invitation. It's God's invitation for you to do something, right? I mean, he has a calling for every single person, saved or unsaved. The first calling is to, to, to receive salvation. But then when you, when you do answer to that call, then there's this call to live your life doing what he wants you to do. You have, you have, there's a specific thing. There's a divine uh, assignment on your life. You have to know that. Yeah, there is something important that, that God has for you to do. I don't know what it is. I, I, I know what it is for me, at least for, for, for now, um, and maybe in the near future, but you, and you might know what it is for you, or you might not. But a, God's, a calling is God's plan for your life, if I could put it that way. Okay, God, Paul, 
was uh, called to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created, new, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, that word good here in this context, uh, it's not in the notes, but it's, it's the Greek word agathos. In the New Testament, agathos, uh, one, one commentator said that this Greek word here for good described anything that originated from God. So that means this, these good works, this calling originates from God, which means this. The call in your life, it's God's calling. It's not your calling. We're not coming up with our own plan. We're, we're not coming up with our own roles. We're not, we're not coming up with our own destiny. Um, let God's will find you. Ask God what, he, what you want to do, what he wants to do with your life. That's what I did. I remember uh, in 2016, spring of 2016, I remember specifically asking God, God, what do you want to do with my life? What am I doing here? I didn't, you know, I didn't get the answer right away, but the answer came. See, that, that's what I find. I find that God's will kind of just like finds you when you're busy doing something. Well, busy doing good works, busy being in community, okay, busy serving, all right? Don't chase a dream that God didn't tell you to chase, though. See, that's the thing, because it's his calling. See, a lot of times we have our own ideas, we have our own um, whatever vision we have, like our own agenda. Um, you know, we have this script that we wrote out for ourselves of what we're going to accomplish. And sometimes it doesn't line up with God's plan for our lives. We start chasing a dream that God never told us to chase after. And I've seen this happen um, in, in the lives of other believers. And I, and I don't really, some of them I don't see ever, uh, around here at least. So ask yourself, what I'm pursuing in life right now, does it feel like I'm responding to an invitation from God? Does, this, does it feel like I'm responding to a calling from God? Or does it feel like I'm calling myself? Think about that. There's so much I want to, more that I want to say. There's another scripture I want to get. I can't even, I don't even want to. But if, I'll, I'll, let me just say this. If, if you will do what God has called you to do today, right now. You might not know what your calling is right now. Do, do what he's calling you to do today. Amen. Maybe he might be putting on an usher shirt. Yeah. Okay, and, and, if, and if you will work your land that he's given you to, to work now, you'll always be satisfied. Amen. And then let God's will find you. Think about all the people in the Bible that God has called to do something. Moses, Gideon, um, Peter. He call, he, he, uh, God calls people in the Bible and you know when, he's, when he does it? When they're busy doing something. Peter was fishing when he got called to be a, a fisher of men. Number three, my strategy. Separated. Separated means aphorizo. That's in Greek, aphorizo. It means to rail off, to separate, to place apart. It's a, it's a compound of apo, and, which means separated from, and horizo, which means to make a boundary. So in other words, there, there's this boundary, now there's, there's this boundary in my life and, and God is using it to, to separate me from something else. God's strategy for your life is separated. Separation is, is when uh, God calls you to actually do the thing that he calls you to do. It's when separation is that time where now it's time for you to fulfill the calling. 
When does the separation happen? I don't know. For Paul, it was 13 years. He was called in Acts chapter 9. Okay, I'm not going to go to the scripture, but don't, don't, don't go to it. But in Acts chapter 13, he's in a church in, in Antioch. Okay? Now, his calling is to go reach the Gentile world. And, he, and it's not until 13 years later where the Holy Spirit speaks. Now it's time to, to be separated to your calling. What, what, what happened in that space between the calling and the separation? Well, Paul spent some time with other believers. He spent some time with other Gentile Christians so that he can be used to the Gentile world that he's gonna go reach, okay? Um, God, know, God knows when to separate you. He, he knows how to get you to where you need to be. Don't try to make it happen. He, he knows who needs to be in your life. God sent a man named Barnabas to go and get Saul uh, before he even was called Paul, he, he, to go get Saul from Tarsus and bring him to Antioch so he could spend some time with these believers who were, some of them were Gentiles. He needed, he needed to be in this atmosphere of diff, different, diverse um, cultures, but all one, under one God, Jesus Christ. Um, in, in a church in Antioch where there were the, the gifts of the spirit were just flourishing. And he, so Paul needed to spend some time there. Okay, where do you need to spend some time? Um, I, one one Bible commentator, uh, Albert T. Barnes, Albert Barnes, uh, he said, those who are separated are, he says, called out of the common mass. Where's your common mass? For, for, for Paul, it was the church in Antioch. Where's your common mass? Maybe serving somewhere, serving somebody else's vision, okay, before trying to go and, and start your own vision. Maybe serve somebody else's vision for a while. Um, build relationships with other people, learn from other people, learn about the thing that he's calling you to do, get trained, get equipped. And most importantly, let God work on your character. Oh my gosh, I, when I, uh, in the beginning of my years of, of uh, being a Christian, I, I knew that there was a calling in my, in my life to uh, have something to do with writing. Um, I, I, I just knew it on the inside, but I tried to make it happen pretty quick. When I, when I, when I knew like not much about the Bible, Okay, I wanted to be like a writer of Bible things. Like, uh, and I tried to make it happen pretty quick when I knew close to nothing about the Bible. You wanna know how that turned out? Not great. Okay, I needed to spend some time in the common mess, getting practice, getting trained, getting equipped, and really letting God work on my character. Oh wow, I'm on number four, all right. Um, so yeah, God knows when to separate you. Don't, don't try to make it happen. Number four is my reason. My reason is the gospel of God. I don't know about you guys. I, I want to have the right motives for everything that I'm going to do. When, I, when I'm separated, I don't want to be separated to me. I want to be separated to the gospel. I don't want to be separated to my agenda or my hopes and dreams of, you know, um, trying to have a really good retirement plan and try, nothing, nothing wrong with any of that, that stuff. But my, my, my goal is not comfort. My goal is not having people like me. My goal, and, and, and if I'm being honest, at one point, that was the motive. That was the reason. That's why I said God, I had to let God work on my character a lot. Um, gospel. That's my reason. The gospel of God. Is that your reason? Yes. Well, so what does gospel even mean? Because we, we hear the word gospel a lot, and it's like, um, what is the gospel? Jesus loves me. Uh, you know, he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, and that's the gospel. And yes, that's the gospel. And, uh, but there's more to it than that. So gospel, Greek word euangelion, good news, okay? You, which means good. Angelion, which means 
a message or an announcement. You know, good news, that didn't start off as just like a Christian thing. This is actually in the Hebrew scriptures, the phrase good news. Um, and, and the Hebrew word in the scriptures for good news appears in the Old Testament when like there's a, a, an announcing of a new king, like King Solomon. When he became a king, there, there, there was, um, th that word for good news was announced, the glad tidings, good news, there's a new king. And um, so I, I want us to have the context, what we're talking about here, the, the announcing of a king, okay? What is the gospel of God? Go to Luke uh, chapter four, verse 14. He, Jesus, talking about Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as is his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now, now just a little side note, uh, Isaiah was a prophet who, who uh, spoke on behalf of God to prophesy about future events that was gonna happen um, to the people of God, um, but also to the whole world. So he's, one of the, a huge part of that message that, that Isaiah had for the people was, there's gonna be a new king coming. There's gonna be a Messiah who's gonna come from the line of King David and his, this king's line, uh, reign isn't gonna end. So Jesus is, is coming to the synagogue and he's gonna read a, a portion from that scroll from Isaiah. So verse 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. The people listening to this, they, yeah, they've heard this before. But that, that, so verse 20, he says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he's saying? The king is here. This, this is about me. Amen. Jesus is saying, I'm this king that they're talking about here. The, the, the good news, the announcement of the new king, this is about me. This is about my reign, Jesus is saying to them. This is the reason behind Paul's uh, call on his life. He wanted the Roman church, and he wants me and you to know the reason behind everything that he does. It's for the gospel, it's for the announcing of this new king. Now, when there's a new king, usually that means that a, a, a previous kingdom got defeated. Right. Does everybody know what, that, what, what, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, the kingdom of the, of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, okay, Satan's slave market. There are people still in that slave market and they don't know that they've already had their freedom purchased, that, they, they've already, that their enemy has already been defeated. And, and our... Our purpose behind everything is to tell them, hey, there's a new king. His name is Jesus. And he your, your freedom is available. It's a free gift. Uh, your, your life in context, your life's in context when your life revolves around the gospel of God, this announcing of the new king. Amen? Amen. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I really don't have time to get into the context where Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me because he knows he's gonna head into some hard times when, when, when Paul is saying this to his other 
um, church leaders in the town of Ephesus. He says, yeah, I know I'm gonna face some hard times, but my life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the, grace, to the good news of God's grace. Can, can, can you honestly say that your life is worth nothing to you unless you make your life revolving around this good news, the announcement of God's grace? That's how I feel now, personally. What, what good is any of this that I'm doing here in life if, if it doesn't somehow support the good news of God's grace? Okay, and this doesn't just apply to people who are in a role of um, doing things in like a church ministry setting. This, this is for everybody, whatever your vocation is, whatever your role in life is, whatever your calling is, God is somehow using it to support the good news of God's grace. But do you know that? Do you see that, that your life is in that context, that that is the reason? Okay, when, when you do, there's so much clarity, there's so much freedom, the, the, confu the confusion just doesn't have any power over you. Um, it's like a, a breath of fresh air when, when, when you finally just come out of that, that, that fighting against God's will. Amen? Amen? Does it feel like we have our lives in a little bit more of a context now? Yes. Time went quick, what happened? This is so close and personal to me because I, I spent some years as a Christian in a lot of confusion and frustration because I, I had in, in my um, point of view, my, in, in front of me, my agenda. What's gonna make me happy? How, how are people gonna like me? Um, how am I gonna get what I want? My life was completely out of context. I was in the Truman Show, I was in the studio. Okay, but, but when we live our lives in this context, my, my role, or sorry, my, um, my identity, bond servant of Christ. I love my master, okay? I, f I freely, joyfully serve him because I love him, because what he's done for me, because, if, because he first loved me. And out of his love for me, and out of, out of my love for him, I'm going to, number two, be called to do something, do the thing that I'm called to do. Okay, and God has an assignment on your life. But are you, are you gonna fulfill that assignment out of your relationship with God or out of just you loving yourself? Because um, I, I, I can tell you, you're not gonna be effective. Other people around you are, are not going to respond or, or be impacted um, by the grace of God through your life if, 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 if it's more about a love for me. I can tell you that right now. And I don't have to search tirelessly for God's will. Let God's will find you. Yes, ask him. Yeah, pray. God, what do you want me to do? But let God's will find you. He'll reveal it to you, okay? And make sure that, that our, our hopes and dreams are lining up with his plan, his hopes and dreams. Number three is my strategy. My strategy is I'm separated. I'm not gonna rush into my calling. I'm not gonna go try to make it happen. I'm not gonna figure it out because I feel like, oh, you know, um, I'm running out of time, you know, I'm in my later years of life and, you know, I just, I, I feel like I'm gonna run out of time and, cause you know, God redeems the time, okay? Moses was 80 when, when God called him, okay? I, when, when Jesus comes back, I would rather him find me doing the thing that he called me to do today instead of trying to make it happen. I would rather him find me waiting for him to separate me than trying to fulfill the call 
in my own timing, my own strategy, my own wisdom. Amen? Okay, serve somebody else. Build, build relationships with other people. Wait to be separated. And let God work on your character. Number four, my reason, the gospel of God. My life revolves around the announcing of, of this new king. It's not even because I have to. It, it, it gets to a point where it doesn't even feel like you have to live this way. you just like, how could you not? Out of so much appreciation for uh, like Pastors Joe and Barb and everybody here who's, who's been in New, in new Beginnings from, from the start, for, like, and, and their faithfulness, their knowing number four, their having the reason at the forefront of their minds. When, when I think about their devotion, how, how can I not let that be my reason for everything? Because it's, it's their faithfulness. I'm not trying to give them all the credit, um, but, but that, that's one of the... the Marks that I find in them is faithfulness and loyalty to the call of God and to the, to, to the agenda of God. How, how could I not imitate that? There's something in me. There should be something in you that has to. And, and if you're not there yet, that's okay. You'll get there. I got there. It could take some time letting God work on your character and, uh, and being transparent with him too. Pray. If you realize that there's a, a wrong motive in your heart, you should recognize it and you should pray about it and talk to God about it, maybe even talk to somebody else about it. I, I know that's helped me tremendously if you, if you feel like you should do that. And just think about all the people that are gonna be affected because of that, because you put your life in this context. We gotta have that at the forefront of our minds, especially now, especially with the insanity that is happening in the world. What happened? My God, perilous times, like on steroids today. Um, so yeah, any, any other motive that it, it must be removed. Do you feel like this is helping you? Do you feel like you have like some context for your life now? Do you, do you feel like you understand the Bible a little bit more? Thank you. Do, do you feel like you understand the Bible a little bit more? Um, do you feel like you have like a helicopter version view of like the whole word of God and, and like really like what we're doing here? Um, that was, that's what my hope was. Um, thank you. Thank you, God. Uh, if you told me that the first time that I'll ever be doing this, probably from a pulpit, that I was going to be preaching on a greeting from the Bible, because that's what Romans 1.1 1, 1 is. It's a greeting, right? That's, it's just Paul's greeting to the Roman church. But it's more than that. It, it, it's a, it's a four-point framework for living a life free of confusion and living a life in context, in freedom, and in, in joy, not just in this life, but in the next life that's to come. Amen.